Welcome back to the Be About It podcast. As always, I am your host, Max Artsis, and today we have on one of the brightest minds in the strength and conditioning world, Dr. Ramsey Nijem. Ramsey went from being the youngest strength coach ever in the NBA at 25 to leading all performance for one of the best programs in the nation in Kansas basketball. Don't worry, I will always be Team Fat Five Go Blue, Michigan. We talk everything from what makes a winning culture to training trends. Please enjoy Ramsey Nigel. What's up with the, uh, is, this, is this a Vital Proteins refrigerator in the back? Okay. <laughs> so I give, I give the full experience. You come out of my balcony, my eight by, I have an eight by 36 balcony now. Dude, I see. Can, can we, so, like, I mean, are we time crunch? Can we see what that looks like over there? I'll bring, I'll put you on my phone afterwards because you're okay. on my desktop. It's fierce though. It's dope. You went from, okay, this is going to sound harsh and I don't mean it to. You went from, for all intents and purposes, a losing team in Sacramento. Mm-hmm to one of the best franchise basketball programs in history of basketball. From a cultural standpoint, do you immediately understand a difference in culture when you walk into something like that? Uh, yeah, like top level for sure. Um, bad culture, with my experience in, in the NBA, with bad culture in Sacramento Kings, basketball takes a back seat to politics and egos and people who want to climb the ladder. And you became a corporation that happened to play basketball. Whereas here, like basketball, doesn't take a backseat. And because of that, what Coach Self says goes because he's basketball. And so because of that, there's really no politics and no egos because it's what Coach, Coach Self here is, in effect, the president, the CEO, the GM, and the head coach, right? And in the NBA, you actually have an owner, an ownership group, and then you have a president of business operations, which serves more as like basically a CEO. Then you have like a basketball operations lead, which is like your GM. And then you have a head coach who really is like your personnel kind of lead. And every one of them thinks they know everything. And so you and then on top of that, you obviously have egos of players, right? Houston's a good example where in addition to everything I just named, you also have James Harden, who's basically another GM. So like you have this dynamic there where- Dude, I heard when they, I don't know if he still does this. This might have been back in his wild days. But the second they got 24 hours off, he was on a private jet to Vegas immediately. Yeah. I mean, I imagine that's probably true. Like, still. Yeah. I remember we got 48 hours off one day or one time. No, 36 hours. Like, we ended, I think, I think we ended in Houston. We were going to New Orleans. And they had 36 hours off because we had two days between games. So, we would have a practice. It was an off day, then a practice day, then a game day. And uh, our plane was half empty. And I'm like, yo, where are players at? And, like, someone had to tell me, like, oh, come on, fam. They're not coming here. I said, what? I said, they took a plane to Miami. They took a plane to Miami. I'm like, it's only it's only 36 hours. They're like, yeah, there's plenty of time. I said, oh, money different, I guess. Yeah. Well, especially because at the time you're 24, 25, you're probably not, like, uh, experienced to the – you're naive, still naive to it a little bit. For sure. Yeah, I was super naive to it. And after Did you guys just like sit in your hotel room and <laughs> and sleep for for twenty four hours, something like that? You guys, you guys just recover with cherry juice. <laughs> <laughs> Have you heard from other strength coaches that it's a similar experience in that the professional world, while every team is going to be different, is run more like a corporate experience, and that oh. the college experience is more. This is about basketball, grooming young men, making sure we have the right culture first. 
Yeah, everyone says the same thing. And like the other the other side of it too is every NBA strength coach I talk to basically feels the same way about you know just that experience. And it's not to say it's not it's not good. Like there's some very positive things you know for every kind of experience that I would be critical of in the NBA. At the end of the day, at seven thirty p.m., the ball tips off and you get paid to watch the best basketball in the world. Like, so there is some you know there is some pros and, and some positives to all of that, but from a culture winning type, you know, side. And, and it's also maybe like, I didn't work for the Spurs, right? So I don't know what a Popovich ran. I didn't work for the Heat. So I don't know what a Spolstra or a Pat Riley organization feels like. Right. Yeah. When it comes to training, what's the biggest differences that you're seeing between college and the NBA? Because you have an interesting experience going from, yes, the NBA, but you're also at the top tier of college right so it's not like you're getting these guys that are physically not that gifted and you just kind of have to make them put on 10 pounds and they'll probably be significantly better Mm -hmm. you're dealing with already these guys that are looking toward the nba yeah i mean the biggest training kind of differences to answer you know that question directly is training can be more traditional in this setting like i can actually look at my year and decide what I'm doing 12 months or 12 weeks from now um, and actually guide that and actually educate the players. Like, this is where we're going with it. Here's why. Here's when games are going to start and all of that. Uh, so you get more of a, like, you know, traditional just SNC um, experience, if you will, versus, you know, and I, I shy away from like the, you know, using the word periodization because there's limitations and all of that. But I, but, Certainly, compared to the NBA, there's a more periodized model available here in the college sector. Um, so that's like the the biggest one is, you know, you just you know when guys are training, uh, you know when they're going to be here, when they might not be here because of off season or quarters or breaks or, um, and you're expected to train a lot. Like yeah. our culture is built within our practice culture, so anytime we practice, we work out. Uh, so we're going to work out, you know, five days a week. You know, as we get in the season, when you start having two games a week, okay, well, you're going to practice, you know, four of those days, play two and maybe a real off day. Um, so there's just this very natural progression of, like, training and where volume and intensity go. And so it feels just pretty uh, traditional. Do you have a lot of transparency with your head coach on how intense their practices are going to be so that way you can mirror those and not – have a contrasting model? Um, I don't really need to because the answer is, like, going to be hard every day. <laughs> like, in college, like, we practice hard. Um, the intensity stays pretty high the whole time. The only thing that changes the volume, like, right, right. now because of because of hours. Like, and that's just NCAA regulated, honestly. Um, and so, you know, right now it's at, I think, eight hours a week. Then it goes to, like, 20 hours a week at a certain day. And I still – I just wait for people to tell me the rules because I don't know them all. Um, and then when you go to 20, obviously practices now pick up. And then as you get later in the season, practices come back down actually because we need to be a little more fresh. Or the, you know, so there's. Um, I don't actually have that much discussion about that stuff because it's it's already set in stone. Um, mm-hmm. But one thing that I've gained to appreciate a lot here is, and I've always appreciated it, but now even more so than than in the NBA is the coach's intuition and how spot on coaches can be with stuff and how sometimes coach, you know, this workload monitoring thing in the NBA, quote unquote, but like one really great um, 
lesson for me coming here is how resilient the human body actually is. Because when you work in the NBA, you forget those things because it's, you're so afraid of injury and you're so workload monitor, pull back. And so even though the research would say like push at times, like you never really want to push those guys too hard. Coaches don't want to sportsmen like nobody wants to here. Like we're going to find a breaking point and we might even, you know, we might flirt with it, mm-hmm. but we're, but you're going to become more resilient. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's, it's been, it's been great to actually take a step back and not have to feel the need to like have this, Hey coach, let's get on a whiteboard and map out your perfect days. And then and one thing you said there too, was like kind of mirror versus like contradict maybe what happens. Um, Cause I know there's a lot of discussion out there on like, you know, consolidating stressors or matching practice with intensity and, and all of that. And like, I don't even know how much I agree with that at times. Like I think there's, I think in general, it's a nice rule of thumb, but there's times where you need to break off and, and independent of what happens on the court, you got to stick to your plan in the weight room and vice versa. Um, yeah. The only reason why I, at, at, at least at your level, I tend to subscribe to that thought is when you look at stress holistically, right? Mm-hmm. They're already going through so much as teenagers, 18, 19, 20 with school right now with COVID, I imagine there's a lot of, you know, mentality work that you guys have to do just to keep these kids like in the right frame of mind having not been in your experience i'm like that makes a lot of sense because these kids are already going through so much holistic stress right that i would want to keep those pockets a little bit more closed yeah no for sure and and in general i completely agree from a management side like if you can match or consolidate or mirror whatever you know adjective you want to use for it what it does is it actually guarantees you have recovery window so and that was like my big thing in the nba like i i pushed really hard to actually get to basically create like five hour work windows where like my guys would train before the games and then they would play the game and then practices become pretty light. And then you don't have to lift on a practice day because we already lifted on your game t- game day. But not only did we lift on the game day, we actually lifted like right before the game. So it's almost like, you know, for a 7 PM tip, you're going to show up at four thirty or five and like from 5 to 10 p.m. is your work window and you're just going to go hard. Like we're going to lift weights, we're going to play games and then we're going to shut it down and then we're going to wait to the next game and we're going to do that again. So now you just have like work window recovery, work window recovery. What's your thought behind working out before the game versus after? Because I've heard a lot of people right after the game, they'll go in and they'll still get in their work. Yeah. Um, I personally like before. Uh I know a lot of teams talk about they do it after, but, you know, I don't know how much actual lifting they're doing. Like, they might play around with certain movement things, and but they're not loading heavy. Um, and so, I, you know, I personally like before. I think that even if you do make somebody sore, like, nobody gets sore immediately after. If you kill them in the weight room for an hour, yeah, you fatigue them, and now they're actually tired, but you don't do that in the NBA, right? Um but we're going to load up this trap bar. We're going to get a few sets in. We're going to load up, you know, this RDL. We're going to get some sets in. We're going to get a little upper body and some core. And then you're going to go into your shooting time and shoot. And then you're going to come in and watch your film and get ready for the game. They're going to play the game. And any effect from that workout isn't going to occur till tomorrow anyway. So right. by then it's a practice day and off day. So I really like, I like before. Because um, the other thing you deal with after a game is, I think if guys get it into their routine, they'll do it because it's part of their routine. But now what you're doing is if 
if the game was a particularly hard game, whether that means overtime or just whatever, you know, hard fight um, with like a chippier team, right? Like if you just had to go at Pat Bev for 40 minutes, like the body hurts from that. Um, so you're dealing with that. So training has to change and modify because of that. If you lost the game, you're dealing with emotional stuff there. So maybe you don't even, maybe they have friends or family there after the game. And so for this particular game, they got to go and see them for whatever reason, maybe their agents in town. So you end up dealing, having to manage way too many variables, I think, when it becomes yeah. <clears throat> like pregame. It doesn't really matter what's going on because it's part of your pregame routine. No matter what's going on in your life, you're going to be locked in before a game. How much, say, in the NBA did you have with each individual's training program? Because I know the NBA, more than probably any other professional athlete, uh-huh. has their own guy mm-hmm. that they bring in. Like, How do you mm-hmm. work with that? Yeah, I was very fortunate. Uh, I never had a player that had his own guy. Um, so that was actually never really a, a thing for me. Um, so I guess 100%. Like, I basically had 100% of – when I was the head guy, I had 100% of what the player would do. That doesn't mean they would do 100% of what I wanted them to do, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I never had to really deal with that. But Yeah. What's going on with your guys' mentality right now with everything going on with COVID and the season – uh, I mean, they, they've been pretty positive, I would say, for sure. Um, you know, I think everybody's been pretty optimistic. And the great thing about the college setting is actually, regardless of what happens to this season, like being at a high level, you know, like Kansas or, you know, one of these Power 5 programs, um, I think the selling point is, like, regardless of what actually happens with your college season, the work you put in has to be independent of that because you wanted to go to the NBA anyways. Right. This was this. What even if we weren't gonna play? What are you gonna do? Not work? You said you want to go to the NBA. So like, even if tomorrow the NCAA says basketball is not occurring, okay. Well, what are you gonna? Are you not gonna work out? Because you said you said you were trying to move from here anyway. So like, you know, that's the way I kind of look at it, and that's kind of my education on it. Is like, look, regardless of what happens with anything, that's actually independent of your ultimate goal. Like at some point, we would assume that the NBA will be here five years from now, whenever, like, so if your goal hasn't changed and why would your work ethic change? The circumstances around that might change, but. Let me ask you a hypothetical because obviously you're not in this situation, but the gym that I work up in Portland Roke, Mm -hmm. one of the things that we talk a lot about, we work with high school athletes and younger athletes and they're struggling a lot from a mental side with their season being canceled, everything going on. And a lot of these kids, let's be realistic, don't have a shot at the pros, right? So for them, they don't know if this is like high school is the last time they're ever going to play or are they going to get recruited into college because they don't have their, the rest of their high school season. So what advice would you give to athletes that are struggling right now with the fact that they might not have as high a ceiling as the guys that are coming through Kansas? Yeah. Yeah. That's a tough one. Um, and it's probably easy for me to sit here and, you know, in my kitchen and ponder. Um, but I think the biggest, you know, I, I, I truly do believe sport and, and as an extension, the weight room is really just, you know, it's just a place to build habits in life. And so ultimately, like, I think at some point the education turns to that kind of discussion of like, you know, you're not just working to be a high school athlete or be a college athlete. Like you're actually working to be, a really good human being and have these mm-hmm. have build habits, right? Work ethic or um, 
commitment or, you know, perseverance or resilience or any of those things that are going to like obviously follow you through life. Um, so I think it's just educating on that and trying to get, get them to understand that what we're doing in here is bigger than the sets and reps or the season that may or may not come. Um, Cause that's even stuff I tell my guys, like ultimately, even if you were to make it to the NBA and be an all-star and all those things that you may aspire to be, 40 years old is about the end of it. Like maybe 41, 42, if you're lucky, but like it ends at 40 basically. And that's if you're extremely lucky. Well, I got news for you. You don't get to retire when you're 40. Like Magic Johnson is still making moves, right? Like Charles Barkley has a boss. Chris Weber has a boss. Like you go into TV, you go into management, you go into front office, you go into corporate, wherever you go, you're going to have to answer to people. So you're always going to have a boss. And because of that, why wouldn't you just use this time to build the habits now that ultimately serve you in those environments? Because I think what's been really cool to watch, especially over the past probably five years, and LeBron like going to LA probably solidifies it, that like if you're just a basketball player now, like that's not enough anymore. Even your peers look at you now, right? Like, in fact, the NBA PA is making pushing on that. Players are coming together and starting shows and all this. And so now it's like we're starting to blend basically true life and sport and aspirations beyond the court. And so, you know, that's always just been my education. Like, how do we how do we see those bigger picture items and how do we use the weight room or the court to develop those things as well? Because at at some point it becomes hard to actually I think continue working and working and working. If, for example, like you just said, your ceiling isn't actually that high. Like, well, okay, let's remove that. Actually, let's remove that emotional attachment to the sport itself. Mm. Think about these bigger picture items. So, you know, we try to push on that stuff. I think that's awesome. I was talking to Alex Molden uh, last night who played in the NFL for nine years. And he was talking about how he realized very quickly that he, enveloped his entire identity into what he did as a cornerback mm -hmm. and it wasn't until he retired that he realized that that's not who he is mm -hmm. he's like i am so much more than just a guy that runs backwards half the time and picks people off you know what i mean right. and so that's such a good i feel like man that's such like a powerful thing for for people to hear especially right now where a lot of these kids like don't have a community to go to they don't you know what I mean like that that gym setting that is their community that is their way to play with other kids that's their way to socialize mm -hmm. that's their way to gain confidence right like that's one mm -hmm. of the biggest things that we talk about is just like you especially our female athletes I'm like you need to take up space right when you are in this gym you don't apologize for anything you take up space like this mm -hmm. is your this is your spot mm -hmm. they lose that when they don't get to come in mm -hmm. so I think that's a really good anchor for people to to kind of hold on to yeah how are you yeah, guys using that. um data because data is such a hot topic right now right right like there's so many people out there that are using data for the sake of using data and they've mm -hmm. got pages of database back there mm -hmm. and they do nothing with it except for right. maybe try to let themselves off the hook if someone gets hurt like oh look I, cause you can manipulate data, right? Like I can manipulate it to create whatever picture that I want to create. Mm -hmm. If I want to say that I hurt you, I can figure that out. If I want to say that I'm the reason you never got hurt, I can also figure that out from the same set of data. Yeah. So how are you guys um, managing data? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I use a lot less now. Um, and, 
and also don't feel the burden of data now like because that's a thing too right like you just talked about like they have like pages of data but it's over here but like what are you doing with it and at the NBA level there's and I think in professional sport in general there's this there's this um pressure to have this data like like you just talked right you gotta have it and then you think that's because people are trying to protect their own ass because millions of dollars are on the line though uh, I think it's a mix of that for sure. And I think that, that makes sense. Um, I think it's a uh, uh, professional sport in general is a copycat league, right? A couple teams do it. So now everyone must do it. Um, owners mingle at events and owners hear this and then they come back. Why aren't we doing that? And you're like, no, we've been doing that for like five years, but they don't know that. And so there's just this pressure. It's a, um, and then obviously data is here to stay throughout the world, right? Like big data is a thing. The biggest companies in the world use, I mean, we can talk about Nike now and I'm probably gonna have an Instagram from Nike in like 10 minutes, right? Like data is just there. And so because of that, it was just this expectation, I think. Um, I think in general, it's, it's a relatively positive thing. Like people get so mad, like Instagram is listening to you and I'm like, good, let them listen because it's gonna make, if I talk about Nike, I probably wanna buy their shit. So put it on my phone and make it. <laughs> And while, hey, while you're at it, just put a buy button so I can just make this happen fast. <laughs> Don't worry. You probably won't get the sneakers before they sell out. That's what I'm saying. Like, people get so upset. Like, what are you, what private conversations are you so worried about? Like, now, obviously, if you've had your identity stolen and stuff, like, there's some things there. But, like, yeah. Listen what are me. you guys using right now? Yeah. So, to answer the question, we are using uh, force plates, um, our elite form, which is our velocity based tracking system. It's also what I program through. And then I take body weight and that's basically it. Um, I don't have a practice monitoring type system like a GPS or a catapult or anything like that. Uh, I don't have game data. I don't take session RPE. I don't take wellness surveys. Um, so I take training information. They input their weights and only on the movements that I actually um, care to monitor. Like if we're doing a band pull apart or a face pull, like I don't actually, it's just volume, whatever, like do it. Um, so yeah, just really three things, body weight, training data, and force play data. And that's, you know, uh, pebbles compared to the rocks of data that we had, you know, at the NBA level. And, um, because I firmly believe ultimately it all comes back to, I think a fundamental question of is the data you are collecting changing what you are doing? if you can't answer yes to that, then why are you collecting it? Right. Only like, I think side to that would be, if the answer is no, you can still justify collecting it if you plan to do some very intense off-season deep dives to start to figure out ways to use that. Like I could see that being valuable, but usually you need, I think a team of, you know, a couple of data analysts and maybe a, someone who's good in programming R and some big, you know, some skill sets that I don't even have. So, um, yeah, I've, I've gone bare bone. And that's conversations I had actually when I got here. You know, like one, one of the conversations I had when I got here was, hey, guys, uh, so at the NBA, I used something called a wellness survey. And I would basically ask my team every single day how they were feeling. And for the most part, they would tell me the same answer every day. But then occasionally they would give me an outlier. And then I would use that outlier to actually change some things. I said, so we can do that if you want. Or what we can do is just talk every single day and have very transparent conversations on, on days you don't feel good or feel sore, you just come and talk to me. So I said, which one do you guys want to do? 
They said, oh, we'll just talk to you. I said, all right, cool. So now I just talk to my guys every single day. And I don't even write it. I love it. that. Because it's, it, you're really using the soft skills of coaching to be able to create your own data, mm-hmm. which and is so much more powerful because it creates a connection as well. For sure. And it's, 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 uh, it's not as clean cut and it's not for everybody. Like I admit those things. Uh, but as long as you have, I think as long as you're actively engaged in those kind of conversations, um, then I think it could be very valuable. And if it probably at times more valuable than just having, you know, the wellness survey, for example. I think so too. I've, I've read studies where, you know, a player's RPE is within like 10% of tracked monitored data of where mm-hmm. the session actually was. So especially mm-hmm. at, at the higher level, athletes tend to have a really good understanding of how much exertion that they just used in, in an, an exercise or if they come in and feel like crap, they're like, hey, bro, it's just not going to happen today. Right. So, and it develops like such a wonderful relationship. I can't tell you how many times I've had athletes come in that respect the fact that they come in and they're like, hey, it's just not going to happen today. And then we completely mm-hmm. pivot. And we have a, you know, a conversation of like, okay, well, what do you want to do today to get better? Like, yeah, you know what I mean? Like, God forbid you have some say in oh what happens. Goodness, right. That's crazy. You're supposed to know everything. You're the <laughs> I mean, case in point, the other day, our guys, we were supposed to have an off day, but we switched our off days. So we had to train, you know, on an off day and the next day became the off day. But the way I programmed, like our first two days were pretty challenging because I was expecting that third day to be the off day. But we changed plans and we, you know, got to be flexible. And so now we got to train on the third day in a row and guys are coming in like beat up. Um, and I kind of set them up for these complaints because, because on Tuesday I'm telling them like, like, ah, shoot, it's a lot of work to do. I'm like, come on, let's go baby. Tomorrow the off day. Come on. And then, the, and then right when coach says we're going to train tomorrow, they all looking at me like, damn. <laughs> so I already knew that this was going to be a thing. So as they come in to train on Wednesday, I got my clipboard there with the lift. And it's on their elite form, but they know I kind of keep all my stuff on this one area. So they know if they, before they want to go up to their rack and look, they can go right to my clipboard. And they're like, damn, we got front squats today. I'm like, yeah, y'all don't want to do no front squats? And the first player's like, no, nah, I don't want to do no front squats. My legs hurt. We ain't got no off day. I said, all right. I said, yo, Dave, you don't want no off day? You don't want no front squats? No, nah, I don't know about that. I said, Sam, you don't want no front squats? So they all, they all end up by my clipboard. And there's a pen by the clipboard. I said, look, man, I'm going to give y'all 15 seconds, man. Y'all get the pen, y'all get the clipboard. Do whatever you want. Y'all got 15 seconds, man. They're like, all right, bet. Before I know it, the whole team at the clipboard. <laughs> like, they calling everybody over. They got the pen. I'm like, man, y'all got five seconds. Three, two, I walk up. Like, what we got? They said, all right. So now one player is telling me the lift for the day. Like, he's running it down. He's justifying it to me. He's telling me why they, I said, why you make this change? Okay. So that's actually something I might've thought about. Okay, cool. So we going through the whole thing. And then he put mobility up too. They want, he said, and we need some mobility. So, okay, well, you want mobility before or after? He's like, ah, we're going to do it after. I said, why, why after? So we, it began to become their own lift. Yeah. It was pretty close to what I wanted. They, they took the front squats off. So they won that battle. But once I said, all right, y'all got it. They said, yeah. He handed me the clipboard back. He said, we about to kill this now. The, the lift would have been trash if I made them do what I wanted. I gave up front squats in like a shoulder exercise. And the rest of the lift was great. And we added mobility. So ultimately, yeah. it was a big W for us. But you can't I get- feel like that is the biggest 
nugget that you could have given that doesn't sound like anything to most people. You right. know what I mean? To most people, they're going to listen to that part and just go right past it. Mm-hmm. And like to me, and I will preface this by saying only because of how much knowledge that you've accrued over the course of your career, are you able to simplify it that aggressively, right? Because I think at this point in your career, you understand the very minute tweaks that need to be made. Like you had to go, uh, it was the same with, like I got so complicated in my career and then coming out of it, I, everything is so simple now because it's, you know, like one paint stroke, you understand changes the entire complexion of a piece of art. So I feel like from a coaching standpoint to take ego out of it, take yourself yes. out of it and say, this is your career. This is your body. This is how you're feeling. Mm-hmm. If you can justify it for me, you're not going to be wrong. Right. So I'm in, let's ride. Yeah. And you just created buy-in mm-hmm. because an all-in athlete with a mediocre program is going to beat an all-in program with a mediocre buy-in every single time. For sure. Uh, yeah, I completely agree. Uh, yeah, no. And that's, I write the programs. Like I'll come in and I tell my guys like, look, the way you feel about your handle or your jump shot is how I feel about my programs. Like <laughs> I'm putting the reps in, baby. Um, but just like, you know, you talk about buying and, and I, I just always go back to the things we expect from our athletes. Like we have to be able to exemplify those things and model those behaviors. So if I expect you to be flexible, if I expect you to control your controllables, if I expect you to, um, you know, bring good energy, if I expect you to adapt to environments, I better be able to do all of those things. And if it means that on a day where we should have had an off day and we didn't or we thought we were going to have one and didn't, you want to make a change? Well, I guess I better be flexible. I better adapt. I better appreciate what you're going through. So, yeah, it's – but I also agree with if you're a young strength coach just getting into the game, like, there's that balance, right? If you do that all the time, then they might just think you don't care about your program and you don't know what's going on anyways, or this program must not be that good because you don't stick to it. So all those things can can be there. But I think over time – over building relationships, over building credibility, you can make adjustments and no one's going to question, you know, the credibility behind it. Yeah. What do you think the next wave of training is going to look like? Ooh, that is a good question. I think that certain technology and things are here to stay. Like I think that all that is going to continue to drive the world. I mean, Amazon just dropped the, a whoop copycat right like yeah um it's all here to stay it's gonna continue to be here i think the next frontier of just i think health and training and, and fitness and wellness and all that in general is like okay we have enough data we have enough technologies can we get more personalized with information and can we get more results like no disrespect to anything out there but like people aren't getting healthier <laughs> like People aren't seeing better results. Um, so I think that's there. I think an appreciation for the mental side of what athletes go through in, in general, what people go through. How do you bring that into some of the things we do in the weight room? Um, but I think the nuts and bolts of training, I think, are, are going to always be there. I, I think we'll have the ebbs and flows of transfer and what should training look like versus not look like. Um, but I think, you know, simple wins and it'll always win. And I think, I think that that's, that's sometimes hidden because of social media, because it's so easy to see someone does an exercise 
and people post content because they have to post content because they want followers. Like, so you just run out of, I, like, I can't post a squat every single day. Nobody wants to follow that. And so you end up with these ongoing libraries of exercises that most people don't do those things they show you. Um, so I think it's fighting that stuff. And I think what it's also beginning already to play itself out is like, there's people that I follow on Instagram that my players actually follow on Instagram. And rather than fighting that, I tell them like, yo, you see something you like, send that. Like, come on, we can find ways to mix it in. Cause, cause the steak and potatoes is gonna, that's gonna be there. Like you're gonna squat, you're gonna deadlift, you're gonna push, you're gonna pull, you're gonna hinge, you're gonna get some trunk working. Like that's gonna be there. But if you wanna throw, oh, I seen this exercise. All right, cool, throw it in, let's go. Um, so yeah, I don't know where like, you know, the future is. I think just all those things probably play a role, but but now I'm excited to hear what you got. What do you think it's going? You touched on it. I I think the mental side of pieces is, is going to be huge. Um so I'm looking into getting my masters in sports psych right now. Yeah, I remember um, talking about that. And I I think should for sure. I think too many coaches will say, "Hey, think happy thoughts, take a few breaths and we're good." And then they'll spend 100 hours a week learning biomechanics kinesiology mm-hmm. how the body moves mm-hmm. and you're nothing without your brain you're nothing without what's what's between the ears right like kobe mike brady they are not who they are because they were genetic freaks they were who they were because they were built different between the years yeah. and their work habits you know um were a big piece of that so where i think data and the mindset piece come in is as a Western culture, we're very reluctant to Eastern medicine, Eastern culture until we can prove it. And now you're starting to see mindset and meditation come into play significantly more because people are able to quantify it, right? Gray matter gets larger when you meditate, right? The hippocampus, they make all these big words that people are able to use now because we're able to quantify what's going on with your brain. But Buddha is sitting there like, hey, I've been saying this for a thousand years yeah so i think as we're able to quantify more and more through eegs and um different brain studies how Mm -hmm. important breath work mindset therapy all these different things are for people as a holistic stressor yeah i think that's going to become a larger 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 picture and people are softer now than they ever have been right right? people are more open to being vulnerable which is a great thing yeah but people are also softer so you have to play with the emotional side of things i think a lot more now than you didn't than you did 10 years ago yeah for sure well two things came to mind immediately first one is you said buddha you got you might have a buddha right behind you he's right there yes sir (laughs) come on he's creating vibes dude (laughs) um the second one though is you're totally right like vulnerability is a word that's thrown around so often it's it's like the new word. It's like the new word for culture. You know, culture was thrown around, and now it's like right. vulnerable. Um, and and I'm, you know, I'm reluctant to like use it even at times because I think people use it so often. But if you actually, I think a good, perfect example of it is like what we just saw. What resonates or was of recent is um, Paul George in the last playoff series went through a very rough stretch went through a time where you couldn't hit a shot, social media, overcritical, all of this stuff. Had some drama with Dame Lillard, right? I'm a basketball guy, so all this is just playing in my mind. 
Um, Dame goes for 50-60-50. Paul George can't hit a shot in the last series. And as you go through that, and now Paul George is playing better, but just a week ago he came out and talked about during the last series he actually went through depression. He actually had to see his team sports psych. And that is, like, so, I think, rare. You Like, have we seen – I can't think of a time that we've seen someone be so open about that. While – it's not like he said, hey, last year in that playoff series, I went – like, he literally was like, last week I had depression and went through that. And, you know, some, it was like Kevin Love did some things and has highlighted the mental health side of it. Um, a few other players have come out. But now we're seeing it, like, like in – in games, right, or, or in, in moments um, of late, like a week ago, guys were talking about. So I think – I just think, yeah, I mean, I, I guess that's just more confirmation of what you're saying. Like, it's here to stay. Um, it's also something that I think a lot of people have dealt with just privately, right? Like Deion Sanders recently came out and said he was suicidal when he was as big as he was because that was a, a, a figure of life that he was yeah. not able to live up to. Yeah. I know Michael Phelps during his Olympic run was suicidal. Yeah. Right, like we weren't built for fame, first of all. Yeah. Like we just weren't built for this shit. Yeah. And then on top of that, you add on the pressure of Instagram now, where everyone has a voice, everyone has yeah. a say. Back in the day, yeah. if I wanted to talk shit to you, I had to write a letter to you, send it to <laughs> yeah. you. You had to make the conscious decision to open that letter right. and then be triggered by it. And then yeah. if you wanted to keep the conversation going, you had to write a letter back to me. Yeah. Now you and by, and by then it was multiple weeks in between, so no one. We cooled off. We're good. Yeah. Now no, it's bang, bang, right. bang, 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 and we're mm-hmm. asking these questions of kids that are 18, 19 years old, right? Mm-hmm. Like, why are we asking an 18 year old what their thoughts on the the state of the country are right. in the first place? Right? Do they have a voice? Of course. Should they voice it? Because we've given them that power. Of course. But right. why are we asking them that question? Right. Right. Why do we expect them to be that voice that we need? Like. Or yeah. be perfect, right? I think so. Olympics it's just so much pressure that builds up. Yeah, to think that these kids wouldn't need therapy, and wouldn't need someone to help them mitigate that process, mm-hmm. is absurdly irresponsible and reckless on our part. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And I think the example you gave too of Michael Phelps is like, I think one everyone can I think appreciate. It's like imagine training for four years of your life for something. And you go through like this one summer of a couple months where like you're the face of everything, you're on every TV show. And then pretty quickly we forget about Olympic athletes. Like, um, so like, yeah, I mean, that's where I think you, it's like, wow, okay, I can see how that would be hard. Right. I deal with it with all my Olympians right now, you know, yeah. I'm not to that level um, of depression, but yeah. you know, when you're talking about goals, yes, there are micro goals that are happening year by year but every goal I ever relate to it's like hey in three years we need to be here in four years we need to be here that's a long time to, to grind right. for one moment right and and in where winning uh winning a gold and not winning anything could like literally be half a centimeter or a millimeter or split of a second and so but I think I think we can at least working in the space we understand how hard that would be and I think now we need to begin to appreciate and realize, and I think it's coming and people are doing these things, but like, it's not just that drop off that Michael Phelps might go through. It's, it's no different than 
maybe what Paul George is went not being able to hit a shot for a couple of days. Like mm. who's to say there's a, like, we don't know what people are going through. And totally. so appreciating that stuff is, yeah, I think that's definitely, you know, part of the future. And there's, it's probably for good because for the most part, when you get to these high levels of athletics, look, I got news. There's not much I can do in the weight room for guys to be better athletes when you're an NBA player. Like you're pretty good already. There might be other areas I can help. Right. Um, or people like yourself who go and get a master's might be able to help, you know. Coming so, from the guy with the doctor, get out of here. Yeah. Not, not in sports psych, though. Not in sports psych. I've, I feel like everyone's heard this story by now, but this is kind of how I wrap things up usually with people, is okay. the reason this is called to be about a podcast is when I was living in a house uh, up at Nike with like four or five guys, every time anyone would do anything and they would try to like brag about it to their, their friends, we'd be like, don't talk about it, be about it. I don't want to hear about it until you've yeah. done it. If you haven't yeah. converted whatever it is that you're talking to me about, I don't mm. want to hear about it. Mm. It was one of those was just like, go do it. And it was a joke, right? It wasn't like we were like these bros being like, go be about it, man. Hey, you know, every like, joke has a little bit of truth, man. 100%, right? Because we also, <laughs> we also want to make each other better. What are things that you see in either your athletes or just in people in general as a coach that you're like, man, I don't understand why you don't do X, Y, Z. Like, why don't you do this to be better version of yourself mm -hmm. i think you know at my current level what i try to push every day to these guys is you have extremely hard goals like there's 450 mba jobs and they're not all available every year like a few of them are and you're competing with other d1 basketball players high school cats now overseas cats um players who want to stay in the league right like all the competition to get where you want to go is so high and so like one one sheet that I've made for them is just called like a pro day sheet and it's literally just a checklist of probably like 20 things that they can do every day to get better um so you know the question that we always try to think as coaches ask ourselves and try to impose on on the people we're fortunate to work with is like how do I just get you to do something every single day like, how do I get you to be a 19-year-old who decides to put down Instagram or video games for maybe just an hour to go and actually get some extra shots up or, um, you know, to embrace mental health, right? Or, um, you know, to put on the Normatec recovery, like whatever it is, I think just pushing those things because I think it's easy for us as coaches to sit back and say, like, I would totally do, I would do those things. If I wanted to go to the NBA, this is what I would do. Well, I got news, Jordan, you not going to the NBA. <laughs> so you don't know what that player like. And I think, I think it's just trying to like, I think you can also flip it on someone and say like, okay, well you say you would do that for the NBA, but are you doing everything with that, with whatever career it is that you have right now? For sure. For sure. Yeah. That, you know, my analogies are the people I work with, but completely like, we all have friends, like you just said, like that talk about it. And it's like, what are you doing to actually get there? Like, tell me, and not like, oh, I'm working, I'm grinding. No, I don't care about what you're grinding. Like, tell me today, what are you, like, one thing I do is I'll just text a couple of my close friends, like almost every day. Like, what are you doing to get better today? And don't give me the hundred emoji back or the flex and nah, like, Come on, give me the tell me what we doing. <laughs> like, cause if you ask me, I'm gonna run the list down. Like it's yeah. 
gym and I already got my lifting, I already got my shaking. And I think that almost leads to something that I try to do is just get tiny victories. Like, cause when you ask people, what are you doing to get like, what are you doing to reach your goals today or get better? They think it's like, you have to like go and do this massive thing. And it's like, no, like I made my bed, I lifted, I got my 50 grams of protein and I'm getting better already. Okay, what's next? What's next? And just build up small, tiny victories. You can't get 365 big wins. Nobody, unless you're like Jeff Bezos. Nobody's getting these wins. <laughs> just get small ones. But I think commit to, a lot of people sit on their couch and then they tell you I'm grinding. And you're like, you worked eight hours today. Everybody works eight hours a day. <laughs> yeah. I started, I'll tell you what, what worked for me was instead of putting a to-do list, because I have a thing on my fridge, instead mm-hmm. of putting a to-do list up, I literally put times next to everything. So that okay. way it has a chronological order throughout my yes. day. That was yeah. a, the biggest game changer for me ever, man. Yes. I love that. I love, and even uh, same, same concept, but put things in your calendar. Like I was just telling one of our interns the other day, put it in your calendar. Because as soon as you put a time to it, when that time comes, you know you're supposed to do that. And most, most people don't want to let themselves down. Like you're not going like to go through the effort to write that down, put a time next to it, put it on your fridge. And then when that time comes, you just say, oh, I I'm not going to do that. Like, right. You're probably not going to, some people might, but like in general, I completely agree. Like put a time to it. Yeah. Dude, I love it. Yeah. So another one that I just came to mind too, like now I'm just talking shop, uh, put it like whatever that goal is. That's like, Oh, I want to be here in a year. Just divide that by whatever your timeline is, just divide it in half. And I don't know who it was that said it. Um, some CEO of one of these tech startups basically said like, whether you succeed or fail, do it faster. Because if you're going to fail at something, you should fail in 12 weeks instead of a year. Dude, I'm, I like that. That makes so much sense. Like, if we're going to fail at it, let's just fail at it, like, tomorrow so we can move yeah. on from it versus, like, oh, we're going to do it in a year. Well, it's going to take you a year to figure out if you can do it or not do it anyway. So you might as well do it faster. So I love that. That is a wrap for this episode of the Be About It podcast. Thank you so much to Ramsey Nijem. Uh, love you, man. If you want to follow him, just search his name on Instagram. It should come up for you. We'll see you next time on the Be About It podcast.